When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the crisis in relations between Saudi Arabia and the rest of the world following the apparent murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a dissident journalist. Joining me on the line is Andrew England, our Middle East editor, and on the line from Turkey, our correspondent there, Laura Patel. Laura, Mr Khashoggi seems pretty certain to have been killed in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Details have been coming out gradually, but what's the latest that we know? Turkish officials, through anonymous briefings to the local and international press, have been turning screws on Saudi Arabia from behind the scenes. They've been quite reticent about making any accusations in public. Instead, they're trying to do it through this campaign of leaks with some really horrible, gory details about what they allege to have happened to Mr. Hajokchi when he was in the Saudi Arabian concert. He entered there two weeks ago and, and nobody has seen him since then. President Erdogan said on Tuesday that investigators who entered the concert building had found evidence of a cover-up. He said that some of the surfaces had been freshly painted in an attempt to cover up some kind of materials, he said. And also some investigators were barred from entering the home of the Saudi Arabian consul general. Turkey is hoping that their investigators will be able to go into there and search the premises soon. As you say, the details have been released quite, uh, I don't know whether strategically is the word, but the picture gets bleaker and bleaker. I mean, it does appear that not only was he killed, but how much credence do you give to these allegations that he was actually dismembered? It's something that Turkish officials have been saying anonymously, including to me, since the beginning, although we have to question a bit why they're not willing to say this publicly so far. Saudi Arabia hasn't been able to come up with a convincing answer as to where Mr. Hajogji is. There's no evidence that he left the building. Saudi has slightly shifted its stance. From the beginning, it was saying that he had left safe and sound. And now there are some suggestions that they're beginning to change that and to say that actually Mr. Hoshogji might have died in interrogation gone wrong. But actually, some of the latest leaks have countered that idea a bit by saying that he was killed almost as soon as he entered the concert building. If it was an interrogation gone wrong, that would have taken some time. There would have been evidence there was an accident. And Turkish officials say that they have an audio recording of him and his death, which would disprove those claims made by the Saudis. Andrew, I mean, on one level, the Saudi motive for doing this is fairly clear. Mr Khashoggi was a dissident, uh, somebody who'd had to leave the country for criticising the Saudi regime. On the other hand, this seems an absolutely incredible thing to do. I mean, what a extraordinary overreaction. How do you explain it? It's very difficult to explain. I should start by saying Mr Khashoggi, he, he would never describe himself as a dissident. He's a very prominent journalist. He edited newspapers in Saudi Arabia, headed the uh, Saudi-owned TV, was close to the establishment at various stages of his career. And he left on his own accord last year because he wasn't happy about the direction the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was taking the country. And he feared that he might be imprisoned as other activists, bloggers, etc. have been over the last two years. 
But he has been critical. I mean, he certainly had been a fall in the side of the authorities. He had a column for the Washington Post, which he used to criticise elements of what Prince Mohammed was doing. He supported other areas, such as some of the economic reforms. But what we've seen under Prince Mohammed is, since he became Crown Prince last year, and actually even before that, is whilst he's pledged to modernise the kingdom, to create a more tolerant society, to overhaul the kingdom, he's shown a zero tolerance towards criticism. A tweet can get you arrested in Saudi Arabia. Academics, clerics, very well-known clerics, very well-known activists, women who campaign to get the ban on, on females driving, which has since been lifted, have been arrested. And we can only assume that it's because he wants to control the narrative. He wants zero criticism, zero forms of dissent. So it wouldn't have been a surprise if they'd sought to rendition him. What's different about this case is, one, the prominence of Mr Khashoggi, who was living in the US, and the grisly narrative that's been leaked out by Turkish officials. The fact that you know, they're saying that they believe he was killed, that his body was dismembered. That's what's really shocked people, and it just seems incredible. And so I don't think anyone can explain, if it's proven, why Saudi Arabia would have gone to such lengths. And of course, the West has built a lot of its hopes and its policies around Mohammed bin Salman, who's probably the first Saudi leader I can remember for a while, certainly, to have really captured the imagination of policymakers, opinion formers. There was a lot riding on MBS, as he's known. Absolutely. I mean, he represents a different generation of Saudi leader. For years, we've had the crown passing from you know, one 70-year-old to one 80-year-old from brother to brother. And he came in when he was appointed crown prince last year. You know, it shook up the succession system. He's seen as representative of kind of a modern Gulf leader who sees the need for economic reform and to modernise oil-dependent economies and to create jobs for you know, a growing youthful population. So you know, when he announced his economic programme, his reform programme, People lauded him. They said, this is exactly what's needed. He's, it's highly ambitious, it's bold, but somebody's got to try and take this on. And in the past, you know, there have been efforts at reform in Saudi Arabia, but they've been sort of half-hearted and never really achieved much. So on the one hand, people wanted to support that effort to modernise the kingdom. And on the other hand, he's very hawkish. So when Donald Trump was elected and took a much more belligerent stance towards Iran... Then the US administration in Riyadh became very aligned in terms of policy towards the Middle East. And that suited Saudi Arabia, which had been disgruntled with the Obama administration. They believed he was soft on Iran. And of course, Donald Trump pulled out of the nuclear accord, which Saudi Arabia believed emboldened Iran. So there were a lot of things that aligned, which created the relationship, particularly between Washington and Riyadh but also more generally the idea that this was a young modernizer. He himself doesn't call himself a reformer, but a modernizer who's about to shake up the Arab world's you know, biggest economy and the Gulf's biggest population. I mean, Saudi Arabia is critical to the Middle East. And Laura, of course, US relations with Saudi had been warming under President Trump, just as American relations with Turkey were really not going well. So what's the regional significance of the Turkish-Saudi element? And what role does Turkey play as a kind of base for Saudi dissidents or people who aren't happy in Riyadh? Yeah, I mean, Turkey and Saudi Arabia, these two big heavyweights in the region with quite contrasting outlooks on how it should be run and what the future of the region should be. And that really became apparent after the start of the Arab Spring uprisings, particularly if you look at Egypt 
Saudi Arabia was seen as supporting the overthrow of Mohammed Morsi, the president there, who was part of the Muslim Brotherhood, whereas Turkey was a big ally of his. And that really caused a split between them. It was exacerbated when Saudi Arabia decided to impose an embargo on Qatar, which is a close ally of Turkey. And Turkey has risen to the rescue of Qatar. And in turn, Qatar has proved willing to kind of return the favor to Turkey. As you allude to, Turkey has become a home for dissidents from across the Arab world, particularly those allied with the Muslim Brotherhood. There are people, particularly in Istanbul, who are from Egypt, from Gaza, from Yemen, um, who've made it their home. And one of the after effects, the aftershocks of the disappearance of Mr. Hashogji is that those people are now very frightened. They feel like it's a warning sign, not just to those of them from Saudi Arabia, but from other countries too, that maybe they aren't safe in Istanbul and Turkey anymore. And how do you think Turkey is going to play this or has indeed already played it? Because on the one hand, it must be tempting to embarrass their regional rival, Saudi Arabia. On the other hand, Turkey itself is quite vulnerable in security terms and economically. Absolutely. I mean, this row comes at a time when Turkey is pretty isolated, partly because of the tensions with Saudi Arabia that we've been talking about, but also all sorts of other tensions they've had with Western allies, with the EU, with the US. And of course, Turkey suffered a quite severe currency crisis back in August, which it is now struggling to overcome. Many economists think that the country is heading into quite a painful recession. And so the idea of opening another front in geopolitical disputes was not something very appealing to Turkey. I think that also the Turkish leadership felt that they couldn't go it alone against Saudi Arabia. You know, they were shocked and offended that this apparent murder had happened on their soil. They see it as a breach of Turkey's sovereignty, but at the same time that it would be risky for them with potential political and diplomatic and also economic ramifications for them if they went very aggressively after Saudi Arabia. And I think that explains why you have been seeing these leaks come out in the press rather than people like President Erdogan directly addressing them. You know, the public stance of Erdogan and other senior ministers is that there's still an investigation ongoing they're still waiting to see its conclusions, which is slightly at odds with all this other stuff that we're reading. We have been reading for almost two weeks now. I think that they'll be trying to play the kind of smaller partner with America in negotiating with Saudi Arabia over this. I mean, there are some cynics out there who think that probably both Donald Trump and Turkey would quite like to reach some kind of an agreement that saves face both for the top leadership of Saudi Arabia and for Donald Trump, who relies a lot on Saudi Arabia as a key ally. Some even suggest that Turkey might try to extract some kind of favours or concessions out of Saudi and or America as a result of this. I mean, interestingly, Turkey had a very bad relationship with the US. It had a bad row with Donald Trump over this detained American pastor, Andrew Brunson. But last week, Andrew Brunson was released and allowed to return home from the US. So this is opening in Turkey-US relations. And it's not clear exactly how Turkey is going to try and play that. But certainly it's in a strong position, holding the evidence in its hands and then potentially deciding what to do with that and how to wield it. Mm. And of course, uh, Andrew, I mean, I guess the Turkey-Saudi aspect is really, really important and interesting. But probably for the moment, the critical thing is how the Americans play this. You've followed this relationship over the years. Do you think it's plausible that the United States really could get tough with the Saudi Arabians, even impose some kind of economic sanctions or revoke arms sales? Or are they just too in bed with the Saudi regime to make that possible? I think this is a critical question, Gideon. What we've seen is prior to this, 
that the US and other Western states were willing to turn a blind eye to Prince Mohammed's increasingly autocratic rule. Now, Donald Trump has given mixed messages since the revelations about the suspected killing of Mr Khashoggi emerged. At one point, he said that the disappearance of a prominent journalist wouldn't affect multi-billion dollar arms deals. Then he warned that there would be severe punishments if Riyadh was found to be involved in the killing. And more recently, he suggested maybe rogue killers were involved, which indicated that that might be supporting a Saudi narrative. So I think it's, as with Trump's presidency, it's unpredictable what stand he's going to take. Now, we know Prince Mohammed has very close relations with Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and his Middle East advisor. But I think the other thing at play here is what's happening among U.S. senators and politicians. Uh, Last week, a large bipartisan group of U.S. senators triggered an investigation into Mr. Khashoggi's disappearance under the Global Magnitsky Act, which could lead to the imposition of U.S. sanctions. Yesterday, we had Lindsey Graham, a Republican congressman, suggesting that Prince Mohammed had to go. He was a wrecking ball. So there's a lot of political attention on this in the US, both at the administration level and at the level of Congress. And of course, Mike Pompeo, the US Secretary of State, was just in Riyadh meeting Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and King Salman, and then he was in Turkey. We haven't got much out of that, and the US line at the moment seems to be they promised us there will be a foreign investigation and we will wait for that. But other Western officials, we're already hearing that, you know, this will alter the dynamics. We don't know how much. The speculation that Western pressure on King Salman could cause him to reign in his son, Prince Mohammed. In an extreme scenario, you know, there is some speculation, but most people don't believe it, that Prince Mohammed could be replaced as crown prince. But like I say, that would be an extreme scenario. And in terms of the corporate world, we've already seen a number of chief executives of major international groups, including Uber, JP Morgan, Blackstone, pulling out of a flagship conference that's being organised by the Public Investment Fund next week. And that's Prince Mohammed's main vehicle for pushing ahead with his economic reforms and drawing in foreign investment. So we're already seeing repercussions. So just like a final thought then, it's clearly uh, too soon to tell, but what's your instinct? Do you think this is something that's going to have really long-term repercussions? Or is it a story that's, because of its extraordinary nature, got a lot of headlines, but that actually might blow over in a couple of months and will go back to Saudi-US relations as per normal? I think it will have long-term repercussions. What I think it's very difficult to say is the depth of those repercussions. How extreme will they be? But already we are seeing that people are taking a different view on Saudi Arabia. Now, if we assume that Prince Mohammed remains as crown prince, his reputation is severely damaged and he will be in place for many, many years. So at the moment, it's very difficult to see how there won't be some fallout. It's the scale we don't know. Well, with that thought, then, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much to Andrew England and to Laura Patel. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.